Well, good morning, church. This morning, we are continuing our teaching series on the book of Acts. We're looking at the the growing church, the church that grows under the power of the Holy Spirit. And last week, Pastor Nick um, ushered us into chapter 3, and you'd think this week we're going to go into chapter 4, but we're not. I want to pull us back into chapter 2 for just one more time, because uh, it's the day of Pentecost. Chapter 2 is all about Pentecost, but there's an important little part that I I want us to highlight and and explore today. In chapter 2, Luke, first of all, narrates what happened on that Pentecost Sunday, the extraordinary events, and then through the sermon of Peter, he explains the meaning of those events. But then, and we've looked at those two pieces, we, we didn't look at this last portion, which then shows the after effects of Pentecost. What, what, is, what does Pentecost produce among God's people? And we find that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, that was read earlier by Kingsley. I'm going to read it one more time for us. If you want to read in your Bibles, it's found on page 1079. Acts chapter 2 reads this, they, which is the disciples, all those who were gathered there, about 3,000 or more, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We see that the Spirit creates dynamic community of faith that devotes itself to practicing the way of Jesus. There's an interesting dynamic going on here that I don't want to miss. Luke is, is again, showing us the powerful acts and the working of God in the church through the Spirit. God comes in such a way that changes His church, changes people's lives, transforms them. He makes the disciples bold in proclaiming the the, the good news of Jesus Christ. They, they become radically generous with their lives as they share goods and resources generously, radically with those around them. Uh, they, the, the Spirit brings hope and purpose. There was a sense of awe, this awareness, this expectation that God is on the loose in this church. They enjoyed the favor of all people, not just inside the church, outside the church. We see God using the church to heal, to perform miracles. God grows the church. First day, 3,000 were added. And then it says, the Lord added to the number daily. Every day, the, the Lord is growing the church. So Luke is saying, this is what God does. Luke outlines those things that only God can do. But then he also outlines the things that we as the church do as well. Because it would be wrong for us to look at all that and, and, and throw up our hands and say, well, that's God's doing, right? God, spiritual growth, it's really not up to me. It's a God thing. He's got to do it. Church growth, it's really, hey, what can we do, right? God can only do that. And Luke shows us, yes, there are things that only God can do. But then there are ways, there are practices that the church participates in what God does. And this passage reminds us 
that it is God who does the supernatural, who does the miraculous, but it is also the people of God who join in this work, and they do that through intentional practices. There is a way that we participate in all of God's supernatural, miraculous work that results in our growth, in the growth of the church. But here's my fear, that we have either forgotten or we have neglected those ordinary ways, those everyday practices by which we participate in God's work, and so we miss out on what God does. I'm convinced we here are people who are eager to know God. We want to live out the purposes of God for our lives. We are here because we want to know Jesus. But I think sometimes we get confused about how to best live this life out, especially in a world that no longer supports Christianity. I know you want to experience the, the, the living God and not just in mountaintop experiences either, right? Not just in, in special moments, on special days, and in fully charged moments, but in regular life, in the ordinary rhythms and routines of life. But how do we do that? The truth is, many of us live lives that are as disordered and frenzied and anxious and chaotic and confused as those outside the church. And we're left wondering, how can we participate in this beautiful work of God? How can we join in? How can we keep in step with the Spirit of God? Well, Acts 2 presents us with a really clear and a really simple picture of how we participate in God's ongoing work. This is, this is a passage that, uh, if any passage, has to guide and define what the church is all about. This is it. And because it's a passage that many of you have either read or probably heard about, I bet right now is an easy time for you to check out. But don't, okay? Because every time the Word of God is open, God is speaking, and He will speak something fresh for us today. So stay with us. So let's go. Look in Acts 2. You see this fascinating reality. The early church devotes themselves to practicing the way of Jesus in community. The power of Pentecost that we saw displayed in fire and wind, it gets channeled now into simple, tangible, communal practices. The community is devoting themselves to four simple communal practices. This, interestingly enough, is the picture of a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered church through which God does the miraculous. They are practicing simple, ordinary, everyday practices. And you see this throughout the church. The church continues to live out these practices, and they are knit together, sharing a common life together. So if you want to see God do something beautiful and miraculous and supernatural among us, well, that is God's work to do. But let us devote ourselves to what we can do. These practices are those ways in which we do what we can do, what is in the, our power to do, so that God is among us to do only what God can do. These practices are, are, are like God saying, these are the places where you, where you will encounter me. And the church devoted themselves to these because of that, because they knew the, these were the places of encounter with God. This is the, the first effect we see of the Spirit. There's a devotion going on to this way of life. 
interesting. I don't know what you think of when you think of the signs of the Spirit at work in the church, but here's the first one. There's a devotion, a simple, daily, continuous, persistent tenacity, a a settled, daily, devoted practice to a shared way of life. They were consistently giving themselves to this community, to one another, to this shared way of life. It took their time, took their money, took their priorities. It was a committed devotion to this way of life, the way of Jesus. So we probably need to ask ourselves, how is our devotion to those practices, to the church? Isn't it easy for us to get so quickly drawn away to so many other other ways of living. We live in an age in which there are countless options available for us to fill our time. We are faced with so many different choices to give our time, our attention, our dollars to, with the net effect often that we give ourselves to none of them fully. Every yes we offer feels like a tentative one. You know, we, we just say, yeah, I'll, I'll pencil that in, right? I'm not going to fully commit to it. That approach is so deadly. By trying to keep open all our options, we end up enjoying none of them. So we've got to ask ourselves, what are we fully giving ourselves to? What are we devoting ourselves to? The invitation from God through His Spirit is to an all-in posture to what God is doing in the church. This is, the, this is to this way of life. And so we need to ask ourselves, let's assess the devotions of our life. Is it to this practiced way of Jesus? What is, where is God encouraging you to dive in deeper to his community and to this way of life? The Spirit is always moving us towards that devotion to the good way of Jesus. Where do you hear the Spirit calling you deeper in? The disciples knew these practices were the places where they would meet the Spirit of God. And there were four core practices in the life of the church. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of the bread, and prayer. So let's quickly look at those four. They devoted themselves first to the apostles' teaching. The early church was devoted to instruction that linked the disciples to Jesus Christ, to the continuing way of Jesus. The church was a learning community first and foremost. And so regular teaching and and engagement with Scripture was was just normative. It was a normal, foundational part of the life together. There was a deep devotion to and love for God's Word. The Bible is the ongoing testimony to God's activity, to His revelation of Himself in this world. It is our authority for our life, for our practice. And, And the the presence and the power of the Spirit always moves us to immerse ourselves in that revelation, to a commitment to an active life of the mind engaging God's Word, studying, savoring the Scripture, thinking through the teachings of the faith. Those are Spirit-empowered realities. The Holy Spirit is always about leading the church into all the truth of Jesus Christ, and that teaching is found in Scripture. All the promises of the Father, all the commands that lead to life, the story that makes sense of the world that's in the Bible, the book that the Holy Spirit himself authored. The Holy Spirit used various human authors, but the the overall guide and author was the Holy Spirit. 
which means all Scripture. It's God-breathed, given life by the Spirit to teach us, to instruct us, to direct our lives, to challenge us sometimes, to challenge our, our culturally shaped views. So church, let's devote ourselves in a fresh way to God's Word because in it you will encounter the living God. Listen passionately. Listen humbly under its guidance and just watch what God will do when we practice a devotion to God's Word. Secondly, the church devoted itself to fellowship. Fellowship is a pretty churchy word, isn't it? Uh, but So let's break it down. Fellowship is, is the communion we have, first of all, with the living God. But then that communion with the living God flows in a horizontal way to all those who call God Father and Jesus their Lord. Fellowship is this expression of a relationship with God that gets extended and offered to others around us. And fellowship, you know, what the Bible is talking about here, it's way more muscular than after church coffee conversations. It is about a sacrificial sharing of your life with one another. That's why you see the church in, in the second part of this, supporting the poor in the community, sharing of resources in verses 44 to 45. That was just a natural extension of this fellowship. It was just an outpouring of sacrificial sharing. It's rooted in the reality that we as broken human beings have friendship with a holy God, and if He has accepted and loved us, how dare we not extend that to everyone who calls God Father? So we are a community, the church is a community that transcends gender and race and economic status because of what Jesus has done. And so the first fruits, the first signs of the, the, the Spirit is this, this really shocking unity in the church. You know, every sort of person, men and women, slave and free, people from every language and ethnicity, are united together which means church spirit empowered spirit filled church is not church unless there are people there who you wouldn't have chosen to be there all right it may be a really cool club if that's the case but it's not church because Jesus is gathering and reconciling all things and all people. And so church needs to reflect that beautiful reality, that unity amongst the radical diversity bonded together in Jesus. And so the church devoted itself to relationships by which they were knit together, close and reconciled. They practiced fellowship. It was a practice. It was an intentionally thought-out way. How am I going to develop these relationships with someone very different with? How am I going to love and affirm and understand them in their cultural, ethnic, gender uniqueness? And do you know how prophetic that practice is for us in our day and age? Because we live in one of the loneliest cultures, in one of the loneliest times of history. Sociologists are looking at, at just the the mental health epidemic from loneliness. Our individualist ethos is creating a debilitating social isolation. And so no one gets called anymore. No one asks how you're doing. No one listens to your thoughts about what's going on. So many are just left alone and longing, longing for communion and connection. But the simple, ordinary, everyday practice of the church is fellowship joining our lives together intentionally, thoughtfully, 
Because wherever two or three are gathered, Jesus said, I'm there. Jesus is there present, the living God among us. This simple practice probably could be the most prophetic thing we do, the witness of our church in a lonely age. And so if we're to seize that opportunity, we're going to need to restore what biblical Christian community is life. That's going to attract the world. A community life characterized by by this placing of value on each and every person who is there. by, By finding a solidarity with them because we share the image of God. But the ripples of that practice are wider and deeper as well. This, this fellowship, this practice of fellowship requires such a humility, such an acceptance of one another. It means there's no room for pride in the church. There's a Sri Lankan theologian, Ajith Fernando, who writes this, we must help Christians understand the nature of Christian identity, which never depends on human distinctions. When people realize that they are accepted as significant and useful to the kingdom because not of the merit of any of their own, but only because of the mercy of God, suddenly they realize they cannot look down on anyone. To all of us who have experienced that sort of grace, we can never consider ourselves superior to anyone. The Spirit always tears down walls of pride and prejudice and privilege to create a fellowship of the beloved. This is what we are. The human heart, when it is driven by fear, you know what, it always builds walls that divides. The Spirit fills us with the love of Christ that always builds bridges because Jesus is the reconciler. The church practiced fellowship and it became a reconciling community because Jesus is Lord of all people, all nations, all tribes, all races. In Jesus, the dividing wall of hostility, it is down. And he is in the business of reconciling all things. Now closely connected to that practice of fellowship the church committed itself to this third thing the breaking of bread together this was the habit of regular hospitality as witnessed later in verse 46 they ate together with glad and sincere hearts the simple sharing of a meal together how about that that is a profoundly spiritual act i always say that jesus did his best work over a meal he did and if you read the gospels jesus is either going to a meal he's at a meal or he's leaving a meal somewhere he did his best work and the holy spirit continues to do that beautiful gospel work around meals just watch what god does when you welcome someone out for a cup of coffee and open your heart to listen you just watch what god does if you open your home and welcome someone over a meal because jesus is there present with his power to heal, to bless. And the church practiced that sort of regular hospitality because it was rooted in the hospitality God extended to us. God's welcome to us is probably best found in the communion table. And so this breaking of bread has that double nuance of the simple hospitality, but also God's hospitality shown to us and the table that is set before us. Think of that, the communion table that Jesus invites us to. It expresses friendship like it does as a meal that you share with others. It expresses love and welcome. 
Jesus was scandalously known as someone who ate with sinners, and that table says that message loud and clear, that beautiful mercy. Anyone who's a sinner, you are welcome to the table of Jesus. It's a simple practice by which we remember the story of which we're a part of. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about this. It says, whenever you eat or drink, this, when you eat this bread, drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Every time we come to the communion table, we're proclaiming the story that in a bodily, sensory way, through bread, through a cup, we're telling the most significant thing that forms us, that shapes us, that changes us. We commune with the living God at that table. God is present in the bread, in the cup. It is a guaranteed means of grace, a place where we are promised an encounter with the living God. Which is why I wish we would celebrate communion every Sunday here. I really do. Uh, the communion meal is such a vital place where, where we meet and experience God. So why wouldn't we want to celebrate that often, every week? And also because communion is a, is a covenant renewal ceremony by which we remember our baptismal identity, that we are forgiven and beloved, that we are freed by God. I don't know about you, I need that identity affirmed again and again on a weekly basis. I need to know the beautiful grace of that story that Jesus welcomes all sinners at his table. And finally, the church devotes itself to prayer. The church was a worshiping community, both formally and informally, at set times and in their fellowship together, in the temple, in their homes, joyfully and reverently. The church was this praying, worshiping community. Worship is such a vital practice of the church. Later on, the book of Hebrews says, do not neglect to gather together. I know it's easy, right, for us to do that. You had a busy week. You are tired. Your friends are getting together for brunch. Your week ahead looks crazy. You've got to get ahead of that crazy week. And it's easy for us to say, maybe next week. Do not neglect this practice. Worship forms us profoundly. The language we use, the acts that happen in our worship service, all of this might strike you as maybe a little repetitive, a little rote, but we do this every week and it is, begins to shape us into the likeness of Christ. And as part of our, its worship practice, the church prayed. Sometimes an ordered daily cycle of prayer, both formal, sometimes informal, because the basic purpose for which humans were created is communion with God, and prayer is one of the dearest expressions of that. We're meant, actually, to be walking tabernacles of God's presence, and so prayers to be an ongoing activity. You know, at Pentecost, the flame that was in the Holy of Holies in the temple, that came out and came upon the heads of that 120 people. And it spread out and it hid the streets because God cannot be contained in a building, right? Our communion is not limited to this space. The disciples prayed, practicing the presence of God wherever they went. Because we're meant to live in that unhindered communion with God. For each of us, our lives to be houses of prayer. Imagine that. You, a house of prayer, wherever you go, your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, with your friends. You live a life of prayer, interceding for yourself and for the world around you. 
So the Spirit-filled church is, is a community of practice. They, they devoted themselves to these practices, to a way of life, and they did it on a daily basis. And they did it because the Spirit inhabits those practices. And so you've got to ask yourself, if you're looking to know God, if you're hungering to experience the living presence of God, look to these simple practices, friends. They are the promised places of meeting God and knowing His power. God will always speak to you when He opens the Scriptures, when you open the Scripture. And wherever two or three are gathered in fellowship together, Jesus says, I'm there. I am with you. I'm present. And in communion, the presence of Jesus is so powerfully real and palpable. It's a place where we experience the forgiveness and reconciliation of Christ. And in our prayers and in our worship, God inhabits the praises of His people. Friends, these practices are the promised place where we encounter the living God. We need to renew our understanding of habits and practices. Do you know that 70%, probably more of your life, is habit? Because your brain cannot do more than that. Our brains can't work harder than that. And so we relegate to habit and routine and practice so much of our lives. So much of the formation of our spiritual life, our relationship to God, is formed through practices. We become, we focus so much on beliefs, and beliefs are important. I'm not negating that in any way. But sometimes we focus so much on what we believe we neglected the way of Jesus, the life of Jesus. And so we become people who profess peace, but we're formed in anxiety. We're people who, are, who profess hope, but we get formed in the way of despair. We're people who profess, yes, the love of Christ, but we are formed by the antagonisms of our world. So how might we live out this power of the Spirit again? I'm convinced we need a structure. We need a pattern to guide us into this way of life. These four practices that Acts 2 outlines, it was the structure by which the early church formed itself. These practices form what many scholars have said, the the rule of life for the early church. Now you might wonder, what is a rule of life? Well, a rule of life is an intentional, a planned, a pattern form of living that you place over your life. It's a structure. It's sort of like our skeletal structure. You don't pay enough, you don't pay attention to your skeletal structure, but it allows for your body to move, to function, for you to grow, for your, your body to move. Imagine your body without a skeletal structure. <laughs> Just a blob of flesh there. <laughs> a structure enables us to function and move. A, a rule of life enables us to function and move powerfully with the Spirit of God. It is composed of intentional, regular, embodied practices that provide this framework through which the Spirit of God grows us and builds His church. And it's something central to our spiritual formation. Throughout history, the church has done this. It has shaped a way of life because how you live is what you really believe. How you live is what you really believe. Everything else is just talk. Jesus himself warned us about this, right? Why do you say, call to me, Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? 
Obeying Jesus through the structure of a rule of life, through these intentional shared practices, it is central to the the growth and vitality of the church, central to our spiritual transformation, to the release of God's power among us. I think we got to recover what that is for us. If you are at all interested in what this might look like here at Knox, how we might become a community that is gathered around a rule of life, around practices like this, talk to me. I would love to begin that conversation to see what God might be prompting us to hear some of the hopes and longings for us to know this life. Is the Spirit saying anything to us? Friends, the Spirit is here. Across the world, God is doing only what God can do, blessing and healing and renewing the church. So let us devote ourselves to what we can do, practicing the habits that are in our power in the hopeful expectation that God will do far more than what we can ever imagine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for this this way of life that you ushered your church into. We hear of the Spirit's work, and and sometimes we might get overwhelmed and think it is this quite supernatural reality, and it is, and yet you meet us, Holy Spirit, in very ordinary ways, continuing to do your beautiful, miraculous, supernatural work, but in ways that are accessible to us, in ways that we can live out every day. Thank you for that beautiful, gracious reality. May we devote ourselves freshly to that. Holy Spirit, move among us. Give us all in hearts of devotion to what you are doing here. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.